Okay, you do want to have your Bible. We're going to, we're going to, I'm not going to be in one text. We're going to kind of go a little bit beginning to end. Um, we're just going to hit a few things, so I want you to have that or get your phone out and have it, um, have it ready to jump into. Because um, we've been five weeks into the series. This is going to be our last Sunday. And this week I read something that I thought was kind of funny. And I guess I do want to say, if there are any young ones here, um, what I'm going to say right now, it's, it's a joke for old, us old people, okay? It's not serious because it could sound like I'm saying that we should like not tell the truth in our work. So it's just, it's just so I can see if the old people will laugh with me. Um, it's, it's some things to say if you ever get caught napping at work and your boss works in the office while you're in the middle of a nap, okay? Um, <laughs> the first one was, I wasn't sleeping. I was just trying to take my contacts out without my eye, without my hands, I'm sorry, without my hands. I kind of messed that one up. Uh, <laughs> or this is one of the seven habits of highly effective people, which actually I think is true, that taking naps does make a person more efficient. Um, or you could say, I was just working smarter, not harder. That's a good one. Uh, or this was one I like, and maybe this is what people would tell Tim at his work if he caught them napping. It's okay, I'm still billing the client. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen when I take my taxes in. Um, <laughs> Or how about this one? This is in exchange for the six hours I spent dreaming about work last night. Or don't forget the old reliable response, the oft repeated, often repeated, never out of style, that as you hear your boss wake, walk in and you realize you've been napping, you just say, you open your eyes and say, amen. <laughs> but there was one more that I thought was really funny. This is the best one. You could say, oh, I thought I was in church. Isn't that good? I thought I was in church. So, uh, okay. So if I catch you napping this morning, you say, oh, I thought I was at work. Um, all right, I do want to wrap up the series this morning. To me, it's been really significant. Um, has not God's Word been profound in how it speaks to our work? Um, I love the Word of God. I love all the treasures that are in here. Um, and I think it's been, it's been significant to me to talk about this. Dorothy Sayers said that um, if there's a religion that doesn't talk about the majority of my life, it's not a religion worth following. And that's what I love about Jesus and the Scripture is the Bible talks a lot about work, and it talks a lot about our real life. So, all right, I'm going to jump in by going to a sermon I preached last January um, that I preached almost a year ago, January 9th. And if I talk through some of the summary of this. It's some, if it's something you're like, I didn't hear that and I'm interested, you can go back and look at it. Um, but what I talked about was that in the Old Testament, that there were, in their scheme of leadership, there were three primary individuals who represented God to the Jewish nation and in the world and his work that he was doing there. And they were prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. A prophet was one who revealed God, his characters, his ways, his purposes to the people. A prophet was a person who proclaimed God to and mediated God's truth to the people. That was a prophet's job. A priest was one who represented God's presence to the people and represented people back to God. And so they were somebody who mediated God's love and care to people. That was a priest's role. They also offered sacrifices in the Old Testament. And then the king was one who carried um, out God's justice as he benevolently, benevolently led the nation and the people into following God, guiding them. And they ruled as God's vice regents, and the purpose or the role they played is they mediated God's rule over the people. And when I talked about this last year, I talked about the fact that those prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament were never the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, that they were all signposts 
pointing to the Messiah, the one who would come, who would be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. We went through some Old, scripture, Old Testament scripture that prophesied that the Messiah would fulfill all three of these roles. And when Jesus came, he did fulfill these roles. When we see the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, we see Jesus acting as prophet, teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. We see him as the embodiment of God, God in human flesh, revealing God in the way he treated people and the way he acted so people could see the Father through him. Um, he acted as a priest, not only that he was the ultimate sacrifice who offered himself once for all time for my sin to bring me to God, but as the great good shepherd, he cared for and loved people as a shepherd would the sheep. And then Jesus led his people as a king. I mean, he is the great king. When he returns in his second coming, he will come as king. Um, he commanded the people as Lord, the people who followed him. He gave them specific commands to follow and expected obedience. And as a good leader, he also delegated to his disciples the, his continuing work of bringing his restoration to all things, one person, one place at a time, sending them to take the good news to all the nations. So as a good leader, as he left, he delegated. And when I talked through all of that, I talked about not only did he do this in the Gospels, but Jesus in the New Testament we see continues in all three of those roles as prophet, priest, and king. As he sits at the right hand of the Father, he continues in each, three of, the, in each of those um, three things. And again, if, if you're interested in that, because that whole understanding of Jesus was very profound and helpful for me, it still is, it even affects my prayer life. This week, I was talking to Jesus um, in a couple of those roles, I'm really needing you to be my prophet right now. I'm needing you to guide me in some things. I'm needing you to be my priest. I'm needing your care in some things. So those things still influence the way I relate to Jesus a lot. Um, but what we have are these three roles or these three offices. The prophetic, to teach and proclaim God to people. We have that priestly, to, to mediate or to offer his love and care for people. And we have this kingly role, which is to lead and exercise life-giving and exercise life-giving authority among the people. So these are the three roles. Now, here's what I didn't do last year when I taught through this, is I only talked about Jesus, and here's where I want to go today, that these three roles actually define us as followers of Jesus and that we are to live into and embody these three roles. Um, we are all called to be prophet, priest, and king. Philip Ryken, who wrote a really pretty amazing book called The Messiah Comes to Middle Earth, where he talks about how Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings had a character that represented Jesus as prophet, Jesus as king, and Jesus as priest. And kind of as, as Tolkien trying to show us that we're to live as all three. He said this, The threefold office that was promised in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus is exercised now through the people of God by the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the world. That this is true for all of us. We are all to be prophet, priest, and king. As mothers and fathers, as administrators and teachers, as businessmen and as cashiers, um, you know, at, that, at the front desk at, the, at where we work, um, as students and roommates, all of us are called to be prophets, priests, and kings. So I want to go through the Bible and I want to show you how we are called to these roles. Um, and what you're going to see is that there's these really significant threads that run through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Um, I preached a couple years ago on the nations. The nations is a thread that runs all through the Bible. Another thread that runs all through the Bible is this calling of being a prophet, priest, and king, how important this is, um, especially two of them. So I want to look into the story. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. 
We're going to start in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. First page, first book. And we're going to begin in creation. And we're going to look at God's call to Adam and Eve um, in Genesis 1, 26 and 28. His call to them and in Genesis 2, 15 to live into this kingly and this priestly role. So first in Genesis 1, 26 and 28 is that, that kingly role. Um, so reading in the NIV, it says in verse 26, Then the Lord said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And if you jump down to verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it, kabash it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Rule over every living creature that moves on the ground. So again, this is royal language, this ruling and subduing. It's that call to the kingly role in his creation. Um, and his intent always is that humans would wisely rule on his behalf in creation, stewarding it the way that he would want to for all of humanity. That was his original intent. We're going to see that again in a minute. In the words of C.S. Lewis, once a king and queen of Narnia, always a king and queen of Narnia. That was his intent for humanity. And then in Genesis 2, we see that they were to rule or leverage their kingship over creation, but in a priestly way. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. So look at Genesis 2, probably flip the page, verse 15, a really crucial verse in Genesis 1 and 2 related to work. And in verse 15, we see the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Remember those two words, avad and shamar, to work and to care for, significant words. And that those words are used together in only one other place in Scripture, in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, where it's talking about the work of the priests. And so that Adam and Eve, in their call to work and care for creation, were actually doing priestly work. So they were leveraging their rule in a way that was priestly. Um, they were caring for it and completing, working on creation the way he asked them to do. And then, so there's their work, their, their priestly work. But then after the fall, sin came into the world. Everything became broken and corrupted. So the question is, is God wanting his people to continue in these roles? So I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, which is the book right after Genesis. Turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 19. And in chapter 19, we're going to see the people of Israel, God speaking to them. It's the nation that he created from Abraham. They've been in Egypt. They were in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. God called Moses, set them free, took them through the Red Sea, um, into the Arabian Peninsula, took them to Mount Sinai where he established a covenant with them. And look at chapter 19. I want you to see what God says to Moses and to the people of Israel in chapter 19, starting in verse 3. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that beautiful language? Verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, and all the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a, and if you have an NIV open, what are the next three words? A what? Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's calling them to be a kingdom of priests. That's what he wanted all of the people of Israel to be, interestingly. What we find, we won't go there, but if you were reading Genesis 20, 
when it comes the next day and they're all going to go up on the mountain to meet with God, the people say to, to Moses, because there's a lot of earthquake and lightning and thunder, they're like, we don't want to go up there. You go up by yourself. You represent us to God. You represent to him to us. We don't want to deal with him. And what happens in that, because of that, their rejection of being a kingdom of priests, God ends up creating a priestly class, but that was never his original intent. His original intent is that that whole nation, that everybody in it, would be playing that kingly and priestly role. <clears throat> so what about us now? What about us? We live, there's that kingdom of priests. We live in this time between the times, between Jesus' first advent, his first coming, when he launches his kingdom, and his second coming, which is coming when he will come as king and make everything right. We're living in this middle time. And so what is our calling in the place where we live in God's story? I could show you a lot of scripture on this, but I want you to go to 1 Peter with me. You turn to the back of the Bible. Last book is Revelation. If you just go back a few pages or a few books, you'll come to 1 Peter. I want you to go to 1 Peter, and we're going to look at a scripture that the Reformers all hearken back to when they spoke of this idea of the priesthood of the believer. It's a really profound text. And when we get there, I want you to keep your finger there because we're going to come back to 1 Peter 2, 9 in a little bit. So I want you to keep your finger there. Um, if you've got a phone, I don't know how you do that. I don't know if you mark it somehow, but if you can somehow keep your finger on your phone, but we're going to come back to this. But here's what 1 Peter 2, 9 says. You are a chosen people, a, and then if you have the NIV, what are the next two words? A what? Royal priesthood. Kings who are priests. A holy nation. God's special possession. Do you hear echoes of anything we've read in Scripture? Is that not echoing back to Exodus 19 and the very thing he was wanting the people of Israel to be? And then he says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So we are to be a royal priesthood. That is God's calling on us in this day and age, in the time we live. And because of this text, Martin Luther in particular, so a royal priesthood, Martin Luther in particular, who talked about this more than the other reformers, said this, let everyone, therefore, who knows himself to be a Christian, be assured of this, that we are all equally priests. And I quoted him a few weeks ago, and I'm going to re-quote him, but just a portion of what I quoted. He says, there is really no difference between laymen and priests, princes and bishops, except that of office and work. A cobbler, a smith, a farmer, each has the work and office of his trade, yet they are all alike consecrated as what? As priests. We're all a royal priesthood. And so we are to live as a royal priesthood, as, as kingly priests. That's how all of us are to live. And then what about in the age to come, in the story? What about in new creation? Are we going to still have this role in new creation? So I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. Last book of the Bible. Turn over to Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 1. Let's see if this calling on humanity that starts in Genesis 1 continues in Revelation. And we're going to be in verse 6, verse 5, starting in verse 5. So look what Revelation says. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood, has made us to be a, what? A kingdom and priest, is what it says. A kingdom and priest to serve God, his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. I want to show you another text in Revelation chapter 5. These are people who, knew, who have a relationship with Jesus, who've already died and are in heaven with him. 
And so these are people, um, and again, this is all about the end of the age when Jesus returns, and here's what they're saying in Revelation 5.9. It says, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God people from, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a, what, NIV? Kingdom and priests, a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign as kings and queens on the earth. They'll reign with him. I could flip you over to Revelation 20, verse 6, where it talks about those of us who have come to know Jesus, who, have, who will experience that first resurrection, who will not taste of the second death. And it says of us in new creation, it says they will be priests of God and Christ and will reign with him. So we will continue in these roles even in new creation continuing to avad and shavar, being on this creation, working it, caring for it with him, so this work will continue. So I've only been focusing on two. What about that prophetic role? What about that one? So I want to I go through Scripture and talk about that one. In creation, the prophetic role was not necessary. Adam and Eve walked with God, would come into them probably in the form of Jesus, daily into the garden. They would have conversation, revealing himself, talking. So there was no need for people to proclaim things about him because they saw God face to face. But once corruption and sin entered the world and people broke, the relationship with God was broken and they no longer knew as much of him, suddenly this role became important. So turn, we're going back to Genesis. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 4. Go to Genesis chapter 4. And we're at the very beginning of corruption. After the sin in Genesis 3, in Genesis 4, we find ourselves with the story of Cain and Abel. Um, how Cain killed his brother, you know, the first sons of Adam and Eve. And then chapter 4, the rest of it is about Cain's descendants. It focuses especially on them and how they fell further and further in sin. How humanity was in this downward spiral away from God. And we get to the last verse of chapter 4, verse 26, and it says something very profound. Here's what it says. Seth, who was a son of Adam and Eve, by the way, after Abel was killed. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, here's what's really fascinating. The NIV has an awesome note that gives you an alternate reading. And the alternate reading is this. Instead of at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord, like praying to him. At that time, the people began to proclaim the name of the Lord. That Hebrew word kara, that's translated call on or proclaim in the alternate, primarily means in Hebrew to proclaim truth. That's primary, its primary meaning. So a lot of scholars think that second reading is the best one. That at that time, they began to proclaim the name of the Lord. And here's what's so amazing about that, is by the third generation, you have Adam and Eve, you have Seth, Cain and Abel, Abel gets killed, but by the third generation, their grandparents, there are already people who have forgotten and who do not know God and don't know what he's like, and there is the need of the proclamation of truth to them, telling them about the name of the Lord. A name refers to the character. What's he like? Who is he? So we see in corruption in Genesis 4.26 that, that calling and that need for proclamation. Flip over to Psalm 96. Again, if you're new to the Bible, if you kind of take the Bible, divide it in half, you're probably going to be in Isaiah. That's where I just got. If you go backwards a little bit, you'll come to Psalms. It's a big book. Go to chapter 96. What about Israel? What about Israel in this prophetic role? So in Psalm 96, I want you to look at verse 3. And here's what Psalm 96.3 says. 
declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. I could show you dozens of verses telling them, calling them to this ministry of proclamation to the, ministry, to, to the nations. So they were to declare the glory of God to the nations. And how about us? Do we have this prophetic role? I could show you a lot of scripture. I could show you Matthew 28, 18 to 20, what's called the Great Commission, where Jesus commands us to take the good news of him, his death, burial, and resurrection to all nations, to all people groups, all ethnos. But instead, I want to go to, back to 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you've kept your finger there, jump back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, if you're on your phone, you probably got to do all that, you know, back to, okay, that, and scroll down and find Peter. Go back to 1 Peter 2. This text is really profound. Because this text has all three of those roles in speaking of us as followers of Jesus. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may, in the NIV, what's the next word? That you may what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So we call this call to declare. The New American Standard translates it this way. So you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we're called in 1 Peter to declare, to proclaim the one that we praise to other people. And in this one verse, you see all three roles for us, that we are to be a royal priesthood, prophets, priests, and kings, and this, this, this call to proclamation. So how about new creation and this prophetic role, this proclamation? And here's what I would say about um, new creation, is that in new creation, that prophetic proclaiming role will no longer be necessary. Um, Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea at that time. That those of us who are in new creation, that there will be full knowledge of God. We'll be with Him face to face, we're told in Revelation 22. Jeremiah 31.34 says this, Because it will be full of the knowledge of God, there will no, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So there won't be that need for proclamation. That's why in 1 Peter, 1 Chronicles, sorry, 1 Corinthians, I'll get there eventually, chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, Paul says that when Jesus comes, that which is perfect comes when he returns, those gifts of knowledge and prophecy, the prophetic, the proclamation gifts will no longer be needed because we'll have the Lord there face to face. So right now that prophetic role is just in this period of corruption and this partial restoration that we find ourselves in. Okay, well, we got to make the rubber meet the road because you can be like, well, that's nice, Karen. Thank you very much. What's that have to do with work? I want you to know this has everything to do with work, everything to do with work, the places where you find yourself because we are all called to be gardeners, right? All of us, that we take the stuff of creation, that we bring order where there's chaos around us. We bring order to that for the flourishing of people and even the flourishing of creation in the places where we find ourselves. We're called to be gardeners. And we learned last week that we're all called to be restorers, right? We are joining God in His mission of the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. That we're to be shalom bringers into the places where we are. That we're to give people a taste of Eden wherever we are. That's our calling and our work, right? To be gardeners, to be restorers. I hope you remember those two things. 
And I hope you can take those. My, that's my goal is that these are things that practically you can take into your work and how you think about it. And so the question is even more specifically, well, let's get more practical. How can I be a good gardener and a good restorer in my work? And here's what I'm going to tell you, that the way to do that is by taking Jesus as our model as the prophet, priest, and king, and seeing that in this, he gives us a pattern for how we can have maximum kingdom impact in our work, that I can take these three roles and I can say, I'm going to live those three things out in the places where I work as a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't even have, it's not, I'm not just talking about work, that for moms and dads that are here, this applies to your home. For students, this applies to you wherever you are. This applies to all of us. If you're retired, we still have places of influence. That all of us can function as prophet, priests, and kings. So let me end by getting more concrete with this, okay? I want to get concrete. So what's our prophetic role look like? What's that look like? Because remember, a priest was a person who mediated truth to people, right? That's their role. So I want you to think of your prophetic role in this way that are in our places of work and in our places of influence, that we are people who speak and proclaim the truth of God into that place, right? That we speak the truth of God. That in our work discussions and in our decision-making, that we are bringing biblical principles and biblical values as we're in like office meetings or whatever, and we're talking about things. We're bringing biblical principles um, to bear upon that. And, and I don't mean that every time you're in a meeting, you know, and you're in an office with a lot of people that are lost, you're like, well, the Bible says, and uh, the Bible says, but you can become known as a person of great wisdom, and that the things you say seem to be the best kinds of things, because Psalm says that if you're in the Word of God, you'll be more knowledgeable than even a teacher, and people will see that wisdom flowing out of you, and could lead to the question of like, where do you get all of that, right? So, but in our decisions and discussions, we do that, that when people come to us for counsel, and they should, if we're people in the Word, we should be known of people that have wisdom about us. It kind of oozes out of us, right? Because we know the Scripture. That when people come to us with, for counsel and advice, that we're people who are taking biblical principles, like in the prison, and we're applying it to their life situation and, and pointing them to God, the King. By the way, I can't play this prophetic role at my work unless I'm a person of the Word of God. You know that? I have to be living in this. I have to let it be washing over my soul. It's changing how I think. So we have to be people of the word to do this. And in the words of Paul in Ephesians 4.29, in our places of work and influence, we do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That should be the kind of words that come out of our mouth in the place we influence. And all of us, we all know the truth is not just communicated by my words, but it's communicated by my actions, right? By my behavior. And so we are people who, to the best of our ability, as fallen people following Jesus who are stumbling after him, we try our best to live out the things we talk about and the kingdom values um, among people. And finally, as prophets, we long for the truth of the gospel to impact people who don't know Jesus, right? And so we pray for people that we know who don't know him. And we ask God, would you please give me an open door like Paul asked? Would you give me an opportunity to bring the gospel to bear upon their life? So we pray for them and we seek for those opportunities. I want to add one more thing about this prophetic. When speaking truth, okay, uh, we really have to be wise and discerning with this. Because there are people, we've known them, who just bash people on the head with the Bible, right? And it usually doesn't work well. So in the words of Peter, we have to be wise, and Paul, we have to be wise and discerning in how we play this role. 
In the words of Peter in 1 Peter 3.15, we speak with gentleness and respect. And in the words of Paul in Colossians 4, 5 and 6, we're wise in the way we talk, that our conversations are always full of grace and seasoned with salt so people want to come back for more. So in this prophetic role, we have to do it biblically. What about that priestly role? What, what's that one look like? Because remember, a priest is somebody who mediates God's love and care. Two people, right? God's love and care. We mediate it. So I want you to think of your, prophetic role, your priestly role this way. That in our places of work and our places of influence, that we embody a ministry of presence with people. We have a listening ear. We observe their, you know, their eyes that we can see when there's hurt and pain that we're willing to go there with them with that. That we have compassion for people and we're willing to step into them in their places of suffering and sorrow. That we love and care for people by bearing burdens in a practical way. Practically by helping them or spiritually by helping them. That that's our heart for people. And that in the way we relate to everybody we work with and everybody we influence, that we embody God's agape love. That we are people who show mercy and love and compassion and grace in everything that we do. And that we pray for people. That's what priests do. We pray. We intercede for those in our workspaces, our spaces of influence. We pray for their needs. And I want to tell you, this is something, I, I want to try to give you some, some courage with this. Don't just pray for people. Pray with people. There's been a lot of research on this, and it all keeps saying the same thing, that if a person is at a point of pain in their life, that if somebody says to them, can I pray with you right now for that, 90% I mean, of people would say yes to that. People want to be prayed for. And one of the greatest priestly ministries you can have is praying not just for people at work, but pray with them. Okay? Pray with people. Ask them, how's it going? You don't look the same today. And when they share, just can I pray for that right now? You would be amazed. I mean, I'm sure some of you have done this, but when you do that, how often when you finish that prayer, people are weeping or crying. People long for that priestly role in their life. And I think in all of this, like Jesus, our high priest, who laid down his life for us, that we're willing to lay down ourselves for others. And I think lastly, as a priest, we, do we not long for people to be reconciled back to God? And again, so we pray for people to know Him and we seek for opportunities to point them towards Him. And then that kingly role, what's that look like? Um, remember, a king was one who mediated God's leadership and guidance among the people. That's what the king did. So here's how I want you to think of your kingly role. I want you to think of it with the word influence. I think the best definition of a leadership I've ever heard is leadership is influence. And every single one of us, every single one of you has influence somewhere, someplace with somebody, right? If you're a parent, you've got influence on your children, you've got influence on your spouse. Um, I mean, wherever you are, you have influence. And so I think of my kingly role as for, in terms of influence. So in our influence, we live and lead in a way that's life-giving and shalom-bringing to those around us. We exercise our influence and authority wisely and effectively, seeking to bring order and goodness into the places we influence. We lead, we guide, we protect, we defend because that's what leaders do. We strive to bring righteousness and justice to the place we influence. 
Those two words are really important. If you look at, there's some Psalms that talk about what a godly king is like. 72 is the big one. If you want to look at it later. But in those Psalms about what a godly king is like, righteousness and justice come together all the time in those Psalms. So in my influence, I'm trying to, to, to lead in a way that's righteous and is full of justice. And so to the best of my ability, to the best of our ability, we make wise decisions and we try to render just judgments to the best of our ability, right? And we leverage our power to the benefit of others, especially the least of these, because in Matthew 25, Jesus at judgment is going to ask us about how we treated the least of these. It matters to him. So we leverage our influence for those people. And in our leadership, we never forget that we serve a king who died for his kingdom. And so we're willing to lay our lives down in some form for the people that we influence. Let me give you some examples of this. I was reading a book by William Peel called Going Public with Your Faith, and he had a really cool story, and I want to read it. He said, I sat across the table from George as he finished the paperwork for the purchase of my wife's 50th birthday present. He's a jeweler of Lebanese descent whose grandfatherly personality, exotic accent, and love of Jesus make my heart smile every time I visit his store. I asked, George, what's the favorite part of your job? And he quickly replied, helping young people find a beautiful ring that's just right for them. He explained how, as he does his work, he looks for opportunities to impart some small bit of biblical wisdom about relationships. And he pulled out a note from his desk drawer and read a few lines from a young bride who had just gotten married and wrote a note to him. And here's what she said, thank you so much for helping us find the beautiful ring and making it possible for us to purchase it. Of all the salespeople I've talked to, you seem to really care about us. And thank you for the advice about marriage. Dick and I have decided we need to find a church to attend. Thanks for your encouragement. Is that not powerful? Him leveraging his influence in a priestly, prophetic kind of way to influence people. Um, I think of Sarah Henry, what she just shared. When she's at the jail with those young ladies, that what she's doing is she's being prophetic. She's speaking the word of God into their life. She's pointing them to God. She's being priestly by caring for them. She's being um, kingly, leveraging her influence because they look to her as a leader. A lot of them don't have mothers and fathers that care about them, so she probably fills that role in their life. Um, When I think of that prophetic role, I think of a couple of people. I think of Steve Lowen, who works at Flint Hills Tech. He's an administrator, and even when he was a teacher, he, he always begins at the beginning of the year when he's meeting administ- like new faculty or when he was teaching and he'd have a new class of students and he'd introduce himself. He'd say, I'm Steve Lowen, tell about his family, where he's from. And he says, and I also need to tell you, I follow Jesus. I love him. He's changed my life. And, and his kingdom values affect the way I think and the way I live and the way I work. And so I just, want you, I just need you to know that. That's, what I'm, that's what's true about me. And then he always says, and if... You ever want to share with me your story of where you're coming from and your view of the world and everything? I'd love to hear it. And he's had students and people, even other faculty who are new, respond to that and come to want to talk to him. So he's using that prophetic role. Um, I think if Susie Harshman comes to mind. The Clovercliff. I don't know if you've been out there. Beautiful place but who had a young lady working with her a couple of years ago in desperate need, in a, in a place spiritually that needed love and care, and how Susie embodied a priestly role to her 
and help lay a foundation for her coming back to a healthy place spiritually. But I also think for the people that work for her, some of the ladies, and how she led one of them, I think within the last year, to a living relationship with Jesus Christ as her Savior and is now discipling her. So playing that prophetic priestly role from where she is. I think the kingly role. I know there's a group of men here in our church and some other men from some other churches who belong to the Christian businessmen's uh, connection, I think is what it is, um, who gather monthly to learn how to be better biblical leaders, um, godly leaders in the place that they are. I think of Jim Wayman who, who goes to that group, I think he still goes, who would talk to me, occasionally we'd talk, and he was always longing to hone his leadership skills so he could better lead the people at ESB. He was an example of somebody leading well in a kingly way. So here's how I want to wrap it up. That we are Jesus' representatives in our work. You know that? We're his representatives. And that he's given us this pattern of how we can affect it. We can take this and put it into our work in the way we think and the way we work. Maximizing our kingdom impact by these things. So we look for opportunities to speak God's truth into people's lives. We look for ways that we can love and care for people. And we look for ways that we can lead well in the places God's given us influence. So, and this all requires intentionality and it requires thoughtfulness, right? That's why I'm giving you these, these words because I think they're important that you carry these into your day. So in the morning, we wake up and ask the question, how can I be a prophet today and where I'm going? And how can I be a priest? And how can I be a good king or queen in the place that you have put me? And we do this because we're his image bearers, right? And we want to reflect and image him well in the places where we are. We want to reflect God who gives everywhere he went. Jesus brought love, life, and liberation. And we want to be those kind of people. So I have some questions for you. Because I think we all, by our temperament, our temperamental design by God, we all lean towards one of those more than the other. So I want to ask you, which of those three comes most naturally to you? When you think of prophet, priest, and king, which of those comes most naturally to you? And which of those do you most struggle? Because we're all naturally bent towards one or maybe two of those, and there's maybe one or two that we struggle in doing well. And especially with that sense of the one you most struggle with, you know, in which of those areas of those three do you most need to grow? And I want to ask this question specifically in 2003, which of those areas do I need to go to work on with God's help that I'm going to, to seek help with that? I'm going to pray that God would make me better at that. I'll do some reading on that. I'll do things to get better. Since this way of thinking has come, about work has come into my mind about three years ago, every year, I sit down and ask the question of which of these am I not doing the best in? Or am I, yeah, which one am I not doing well? And the first year it was a different answer than the second year. I've already known the one I'm going to work on continue in this year. But that I've picked that one that I want to get better at that role with his help. I want you to think for a minute of the main people you work with or relate to or where you have influence. Think about the places you have influence. What are those places? Who are those people? And then I want you to ask, what do they most need from me right now? Do they need me in that prophetic role? 
Or is it they need me more in the priestly role? Or maybe they need me more in that kingly role, that queenly role. And also as you think about your workspace or the places you influence and you think of different individuals, um, to ask this question, in my workplace, where and what to whom am I needing to be a prophet? And where do I need to be a priest or to whom is, are they needing me to function as a priest in their life? And where or to whom do I need to lead well as a king or queen? I think a lot about these three categories with my work. I know where I'm strong. I know where I'm weak. I know where I fall down in them. Um, but I want you to know, as you strive to do this, I am not, and you are not, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king. We're not the ultimate one. Who is the ultimate? Who is the true prophet, priest, and king? Okay, it's Jesus. So I know that I'm going to fail in these, and I'm going to stumble, and I do. And so I try to live into these roles, growing into them, trying to be dependent upon him, asking him to help me, seeking his spirit's help and getting better in these three areas. And when I fall and fail, which I do often, that I'm constantly seeking his forgiveness and his empowerment to do better at it. So here's my hope of this whole series. I hope you're leaving with a sense, a strong sense that your work matters. And I also hope you're leaving connecting your work to God's work. I hope that this has been helpful and you making some connections, because I want you to know the, the place of your greatest impact is going to be work and family. So this whole series has been a family series too. Do you know that? Parenting, grandparenting. That's, these are the two places of your greatest impact. I hope this has been helpful. That's been my desire. Um, and my challenge again, and my reminder is that all of us, living as a gardener, bringing order to where I find chaos to the best of my ability with God's help, living as a restorer, seeking to join God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time, to be a shalom bringer, and living as a, peace, as a prophet, a priest, and a king in those areas, that I am leveraging those three different ways of living in the places where I work as a restorer and as a gardener. So I want you to stand with me. I actually want to commission all of you Whenever missionaries are going overseas, there's always a commissioning. You bring them up and pray for them. Um, but I want to commission all of you as ministers of the gospel because every single one of us is a minister of the gospel. Yeah, again, so if you're able, please stand. So, all right, are you ready? So based upon the authority invested in me by the state of Kansas. Hey, not really. Uh, actually, I'm going to be saying that next week. I'm doing a wedding out of town. So Jordan's going to be here. But based upon the authority of Scripture, which calls us to be prophets, priests, and kings, based upon the authority of His Word, which calls us to garden and to be restorers, based upon that, I commission all of you to be gardeners, to be, be people who take wherever you find chaos, you're trying to allow God to use you to bring more order to that for the flourishing of people. That we would all be, guard, that we'd be restorers, right? That we would be joining God in the restoration of all things, singing to be shalom, seeking to be shalom bringers, giving people a taste of Eden in the places we influence. And I commission all of you to leave here and in your work this week to be a prophet and a priest and a king and to do it with intentionality, thinking about how can I live out those roles in my work today with where I'm at or in my area of influence. So all of you, 12, I commission you as ministers of the gospel. And that 
isn't, it's a prayer from me, but so to that, can we all say amen to that? Amen. So 12th, I do send you as ministers of the gospel, and specifically this week, to be prophets, priests, and kings wherever you are, and queens, okay? So 12th, you are sent.